Uh, Raymond J. McNulty, an educator since 1973. He has been an educator, assistant principal, principal, and superintendent. And in the year 2000, Ray was Vermont Superintendent of the Year. And from 2001 to 2003, he served as Vermont's Education Commissioner. Currently, Mr. McNulty is the president of the National Dropout Prevention Center and the Successful Practices Network. He is also a senior fellow to the International Center for Leadership and Education. Uh, he's done a couple other little things, um, like he, the dean of the School of Education for Southern New Hampshire University, uh, senior fellow at the Bill and M Melinda Gates Foundation, past president of the Association for Supervision and Curriculum Development, and in his spare time, he writes, uh, an author of It's Not Us Against Them, Creating the Schools We Need. Ray, thanks for joining us. It's a pleasure. It's uh, fun to be, uh, be here and share some time and some thinking with you, Steve. Well, that's really great. I just wanted to share a little story with you about the first time I was in a room with you. So I, okay. I was a teacher at Boulder Creek High School in the Deer Valley Unified School District. And probably about eight or 10 years ago now, I mean, it was a while ago, you actually came to Boulder Creek High School. And we were in the teacher's cafeteria. I was part of kind of a small committee around uh, teacher improvement and efficacy. And what was funny, even though you were having some conversations around that, you couldn't help but talk a little bit about change and how we need to have change in our, our education system. And ever since that conversation and that experience uh, that I had with you sharing with our teachers, I've been a big fan. And I've heard you at our, our CTE conference down in Tucson and had the opportunity to uh, hear some of your conversations in other places. And I thought, who better to have a conversation with, uh, with the person who, who maybe inspired me to get involved at a higher level um, a little bit in education and creating some change than Ray McNulty. So I appreciate you taking some time to talk about that change and how we can, how we can maybe steer the change forced upon us by COVID-19 into something that we know works uh, from proven experiences and conversations we've had before COVID-19. Yeah, that's great, and um, thanks for sharing that story. Um, I, 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 you know, it's kind of certain things I remember about that, and I remember being there, but I don't remember too much more. But um, I appreciate it. And yeah, the, um, you know, the term I use, a lot of people use it. It's, uh, you know, we live in a VUCA world today, and uh, if you Google the word VUCA, V-U-C-A, <clears throat> it'll show, it'll come up, and it'll talk about volatile, uncertain complex and ambiguous. And it was a term coined by the uh, US military during the Cold War. And, um, and then they, it really became a term being used by a lot of futurists as the pace of change moved so quickly. It's kind of like everyone now is talking about the, the new norm, the new normal, you know, yeah. in this COVID experience. <clears throat> I refer to it as, the, I use that other term that a lot of people are using, the now normal. So it's like, it's normal today, sure. right? Tomorrow's not going to be the same. And the, the, the issue is that, um, you know, that when you, what inspired me just a few minutes ago when you were talking is the issue about change is that, that um, in a world, the world we're living in now is changing so quickly. Then you get this accelerant, something like, you know, a pandemic. And, um, you know, it's, it's become an accelerant in education and we are scrambling. There is a lot of there are a lot of things we know that we should be doing uh, and we've known for a long time. But now all of a sudden it's like, OK, getting gear, we have to do it. Sure. And 
So that's kind of what's been happening right now. It's this incredibly incredible acceleration. And um, I think I think we may end up. I think it could be the greatest time in education when we get everything squared away. So I taught Spanish for a little while, and uh, I would have a teacher or I would have a parent come in and say, "Hey, I'm so excited uh, that my student is taking four years of Spanish in, in high school uh, because I took four years and I don't remember a thing." And I just kind of said, I, I didn't say this out loud, but I thought we don't really do anything that differently now than we did in. 1989 when it comes to teaching right. um, in right. Spanish. Uh, and so as we're talking about this change, especially at kind of a systems level, you know, where, where are those kind of ripe opportunities to, to maybe mm-hmm. implement that change? You know, if I'm a superintendent, if I'm a principal, you know, maybe at a systems level, and then also, yep. you know, in a classroom, what can that change look like? So if you, if you think about it, um, one of our biggest challenges is that our delivery model has remained the same for a very long time. It's a face-to-face model. It's one that um, we're very, com- I was trained in it. You were trained in it. We we're all trained in it. This is what we do. Um, you know, one of the things I did in, in my career um, was working with Bill and um, we were doing really good transformation work. All of a sudden in the shadow on the other side of my head, you know, I kept hearing a lot about online learning and all these things. And, felt like I'm a, I'm a professional educator. I was never trained to do that. So I kind of decided that I needed to skill myself up. And so I found a big online engine that um, I went, went to work for as a chief learning officer to try to figure out like, how do they do this stuff? And it's, and how sophisticated. And then I went to SNHU, which is, you know, they and ASU are the two big online right. national providers that are really shaking things up. And, um, and I began to realize that you know, as I work with school districts, we have, we've been going to the same toolbox and we really need, our professionals need multiple delivery models to make, to make systems work for everybody today. And by saying that, um, I just finished a study. I probably should have sent it to you. Um, we, it, was a, it was a study done uh, in cooperation with Achieve 3000. We, we looked at 1.6 million kids in real time from the day that virus shut the systems down till about three weeks ago. And we were analyzing the gap and what, what's gonna be the problem. And one of the things we learned that in schools where they had already committed to face-to-face, hybrid and an online system that, that mingled into their day with their teachers on a regular basis, kind of weaning ourselves from teachers doing all the direct instruction phasing into like hybrid and online in those school systems, the the data is phenomenal. It's kind of like they threw a switch and they said, okay, you're going to be home. And these are the things you're going to do. And we're going to deliver them in this hybrid online model. In those systems, you know, um, there's still an equity issue. And don't want to say that there's not an equity issue, but from a performance perspective, everything we're looking at is that they're, they're seeing some pretty good, um, results in their schools. And we have some pretty interesting graphs to look at. And, um, and, and there are systems where we've been ignoring the multiple delivery model. And what happened was kids got big packets of paper and they got some online stuff and they were sent home. And now we're saying we could have been better at this. How do we prepare better? And so 
teachers have done a phenomenal job. I mean, I want to say that they've been scrambling like crazy, but the fact is we shouldn't be scrambling. We should have systems built that can have us transition because the world out there, um, learning online right now is a, is a, is a career ready skill. So you, you've, if you've got, if you've got a child getting ready to go to the workforce, I bet they will be trained in an online system by their companies. Sure. And their organizations. So we've got to figure that out. So I think um, the World Economic Forum had in, in one of the articles they published, they said, this may be the push that public education needs to really focus on professional development, to get our teachers to really, we have the best teachers in the world in the United States. They're the most highly trained but we got to shift their training a bit and we've got to get them comfortable with this kind of a delivery system and, um, and have multiple models for our kids. And I think that's where we've got to invest some time in the next year and a half. Um, because I, everything I'm looking at right now tells us this, we're going to need it. And your, and if you thought of your office as the big spaceship, you know, you were the captain Kirk, um, Scotty down in the um, engine room would say, Throw the toggle switch, Captain, and, you know, move us into hybrid online for a couple of weeks. Because I think we're going to see some of that as we go forward. Sure. And um, the only way that's going to happen is when, if we make a significant uh, investment in professional development. Our teachers are eager for it now, I think. You know, I, I want to go back to one thing that you mentioned around equity. Yeah. So, you know. These are just challenges that we even face in a non-digital world, right? So this equity issue just around you know, our traditional model that we've been in for 100 plus yeah. years. Is there an opportunity for technology to help fill that gap, bridge that gap a little bit, or provide some supports? What are we going to need for, for this group of kids to bring them along um, is this is this an opportunity for growth when it comes to some of our, our most challenged kids? Yeah, you know what's funny, Steve. Um, I think it's I think it's an opportunity, absolutely. And I'll talk a little bit about that. But I also think one of our um, one of the things is that we're finding out that some of our kids that have been underperforming perform better in the model we're using now. And so that's going back to that point about having multiple delivery models. Yeah. Um, I, I've been working with a district in uh, Connecticut that's they're basically in a year from now, not this September, but a year from September, they're hoping to be able to let kids pick delivery models um, as a choice. I, I want to be face to face. I want to be online because what they're finding is we're finding is that there are some students that that flourish in this model we're in now when there are other students that they're not and they're good. Usually they're good students under the face-to-face, and but they're not in the online world. And then there's those in the online that are doing well. So there is this, um, there, you know, I, I think um, your point about equity is th- there's definitely a way for us to close the gap. Um, we, in this, in most school districts, and I know in yours, I'm absolutely sure that you beat summer slide at times um, by summer programs yeah. that, are accelerated programs to accelerate the learning. So I think the strategy, if I were working with, and I've been working with groups of superintendents, I would I would basically be saying, you know, um, we've got kids that uh, are gonna lose, according to the study we just did, they could lose 49% of their potential. Um, the loss, instead of, instead of say 21%, 
it could be 28% higher. So it's 49% of their learning could be lost because they don't have access right now. Um, they're in a tough situation. They might be babysitting. Uh, home life is disrupted by jobs and stress. So what we need to have is an accelerated, we have to create some more accelerated programs and technology can do that for us. I think there's a, I think there are many ways or many systems out there that um, I would say that could help us because we can make use of time. The problem is connectivity. And I'm, you know, I don't know, I know your county in terms of its size and reach, but I was on the phone this morning with a bunch of, a couple of superintendents from West Virginia and half of their districts have no connectivity. Sure. So, you know, they're running around with MiFi's and trying to figure out how can they get some of the families that. So the equity issue, um, I think, I think as a country, we have to start to raise the issue of this is important for equity across every place in our country. We need to get more connectivity, but um, you know, the, the bigger challenge I think in this, in this issue um, is focus. Um, we chase too many things in education. We really do chase too many things all, all the time. And, um, you know, if you look at Schmoker's work and Fullen's work, all the work of these really, you know, people that are much smarter than I am on the, on that study side, um, what they're saying is we got to focus on high leverage strategies and the highest leverage strategy out there in, in that we know of today is literacy and, Literacy is game changing. It floats all the boats. It, 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 it you know, any subject, uh, subject matter that we always like to throw a million subjects on our kids. The issue really is, are they literate in all those subjects? And, um, and literacy is the driver. And so I think if we were to accelerate any, if we want to close that achievement gap, close the equity gap, I think we have to have a powerful literacy system that runs K-12. And, most of our systems, quite frankly, they run literacy K4, maybe K6, but we, you know, we all talk about every teacher being a literacy teacher. I think we got to do a better job of it. So to that point, is there an example can, that you can cite of somebody who's doing it right? Yeah. Yeah, I can. <laughs> um, it's funny. Um, so uh, they've been written about quite a lot uh, in... Um, in a lot of the journals, and it's uh, Brockton High School in Brockton, Massachusetts. Sure. Yeah, Sue Sackowitz. I was on the phone with her just before I got on with you, as we were talking about West Virginia. Um, Ron Ferguson did a study there. You know, here's a high school, one high school, four thousand three hundred kids, sixty um, percent English language learners. Um, and the language, by the way, for the majority of those kids is Cape Verdean, which has no no text, <laughs> um, so it's even more challenging. Highest performing urban high school in the state of Massachusetts, um, which has the highest standards for testing. You can't get your diploma without passing the MCAS. And uh, they regularly blow the tops off of that, special ed students included. And um, there's a school district that in every room they write every day. These, you know, they write every day. They have a common rubric. Um, they have football team. They write three sentences every day. They write about, you know, the coaches will tell them, I want you to write about our plan, a game plan, write about this, but they write in every class. They write in art, they write in physics, they write in everywhere, but they, they write, write in, um, in music classes. But the thing is that writing is thinking and they have a common rubric across their school. And so 
you know, one of the, when I was at the Gates Foundation, one of the things we learned was one of the biggest challenges we have is the difference between teacher A and teacher B. And um, so as somebody who, um, you know, really focuses on literacy in their classroom or writing, and then another classroom said, look, it's, you know, uh, um, this is a history class. I just need you to get the facts right, you know, and that type of a discrepancy is a problem. So, you know, if anything, um, when you make, when you make literacy an agenda in every classroom every day, um, here's what happens. The data shows it. Math scores go sky high. Science scores go sky high. Language scores go sky high. You know, it's, it lifts everything in the, in the system. So I think um, there are, and by the way, that model has been replicated in other elementaries, middles, high schools, and showed the same. It's about, it goes back to Mike Schmoker's work about focus, you know. Um, and the other thing that happens is discipline goes down, um, attendance goes up because they change the culture in an institution. That is easy to say, easy to talk about, very, very hard to do. Yeah, I was going to say that because we've been, we have been talking about in education circles, Brockton for a long time, you know, 10, 15 yeah. Oh, yeah. years. I mean, this isn't new. So no, this is like a, you know, this is like a 15 year. <laughs> so I guess, you know, you mentioned some districts who have replicated it. Yeah. What yeah. is, what is keeping more, what are some of those impediments to doing this uh, on a more widespread level? Yeah, I think um, that's a really, that's a right on question. Tell you, one of them is focus, is that there's a lot of distractions. It's like literacy is not famous and glitzy and it doesn't, you know, it doesn't have like robots and all the extra stuff that get everybody going crazy. It's, it's pretty much like, um, you know, if I think about it from an athletic point of view, it's like blocking and tackling, you know, um, or it's, it, it's, it's the basic uh, fundamental building block for education. And I, if I have to be critical of the profession I love and feel um, I owe everything in my life to, um, it's, we've not been good at building the basic blocks. And um, we get, we, we, it's easy for us. Um, there's a strategy we've been building called vertical, um, vertical change. And um, meaning we go very deep in a system. What happens in education, I think, at times, and, and I think that's why I'm, I'm really feeling like this is the, this could be our greatest era in education coming up in the next like five years because of this push. But what happens is um, we start an initiative and people get moving in it and then we hit resistance. You know, we hit that last 20 or 30% and it's easier to change the initiative than to to make sure everybody does it. Sure. It's, it's, so I, I, when we look at it, um, we kind of like put it in, we, we sometimes, and by the way, I, I don't think it's all the times, but sometimes we, we put something in and then um, it, everyone says, okay, well, they'll just keep doing it until it hits the resisting resistance and then we'll switch to another new thing. And, uh, um, you know, if you stay on building that, that the ground skills, so to speak, I think, um, you know, we see breakthrough because mo- quite frankly, I think every educator that I know became a teacher because they love kids yeah. and they want to see kids achieve. And what happens sometimes is we add so many pathways for them to go down 
that it gets it gets diffused. So a focus, I think, is critical, and um, and it's not glitzy. It's you know, it's not <laughs> fancy. I mean, it's you know, it's um, and I'm not downplaying STEM, and I'm not downplaying those things. Those are all important. If you want those things to really work well, you get kids to believe in their ability to learn through reading and writing and thinking, and then you find that performance improves. So I, you know, right now my my goal is that um, in thinking about this work, and I'm so thankful for you letting me share some of my thinking with you, that we, I have this chart I use now where I show um, pedagogy, which is how we learn to teach children. Then there's, when you become an adult learner, like you and I, we use andragogy, which is um, how we learn. And um, the difference is that adults, um, they know how, we know how to self-assess ourselves. So we'll, we'll try to learn something and say, I'm not getting it. Um, I got to keep at it until I get it done. And we know, we don't have to take a test. No, we don't know something. We'll say, yeah, we don't know it. And we try to get it better, you know, or I call you up and I say, hey, Steve, can you help me solve this problem? And then you say, yeah, I know how to do that. And, and we, you know, we trade, we bought sure, it or whatever. Yeah. But in schools, we've created school where Kids don't self-assess their learning. Um, we assess them as teachers. We give them a grade and give them a score. And we've got to get students to start to think about owning the learning and understanding that if they're in a, in, and you have so many great teachers in your system, I mean, that if, that if we could get kids to be able to say to their teacher, you know, uh, Mrs. Jones, I don't understand this. All right, can you help me understand this? Because I understand that part, but not this part. You don't need to test them. And you help them get through it. And then do you understand it now? Yeah, I got it. Can you show me? Yeah, I can show you. Good, we don't need to have a test. And I think assessment you know, is seen by our students as something people do to us. Sure. You know, and so I think there's a I think there's an opportunity in this in this time for us all, you know. Um but I think, it, again, I go back to the point of when you ask the question, you know, like, how, it, why aren't we doing it? It's because it's not glitzy, not gra- glamorous. It's really a tough ground game. You know, what you just said speaks to a lot around student voice, right? And I find that that is something that's very absent right now in our system. And so how do we encourage teachers, administrators, the system as a whole to bring in more student voice so that they have more buy-in in what they're doing on a day-to-day basis? Yeah. Um, That's another one of those things that's easy to say and hard to do, but you know, it's, it's um, absolutely the right thing for us to be doing. Um, My good friend, Russ Qualia, who um, is kind of, he runs the, the, group called teacher voice, but, um, Russ has been talking about student voice for, you know, maybe 30 years. And, um, I believe one of the challenges we have, and if, you know, um, you were sharing earlier, your kind of structure in your family, where you've got a five-year-old and you got somebody at high school and you get this whole strength, but all these kids, when they were born, um, they were born learners and, um, between the time they were born to the time they got to school, they learned a lot and they didn't take a class anywhere. Sure. And, um, then they came to school and this is where the voice thing disappears for a bit. When they're young and, and learning, they're inquisitive and they're trying to figure things out. And um, Then they get to school and we 
have them sit down and we say, now I'm going to teach you. And this is what I'm going to teach you. And this is how you will learn this. And their exploration is, um, is diminished. And I think, you know, what, one of the things we do know is that we are all born very curious and very willing to, to learn things um, when given the opportunity. And I think more times than not, we're, we innocently, um, and I say innocently because we all have like, we got to get this content done. We don't engage in a conversation with our kids about what is it that they're interested in? What are they trying to learn? What do they want to learn? Um, you know, and if, if they have to learn something that we have as content, we need to say to them, look, I've got to, we've got to learn this stuff. How do you think we ought to go about doing it? Um, so one of the things that I think where we can expand um, student voice, and there's a lot of good data on um, if the student has voice, I think the number might be four or six, four or five times um, like their ability to engage in the learning if they have voice is like five times stronger if you ask them just a question about it. Right. Or if you say, them, we have three ways to go about this. Which one do you think would help you? Um, giving choice and voice to kids is just one of the most important things we could be doing right now. Um, you know, that's why I think th there's all these, like I say, we got to have multiple delivery models too, instead of just one way. You know, those things are really scary for a teacher and for a principal to, yes. you know, cede some of your control to a student to have that yeah. input, uh, input and yep. make those decisions. Uh, yep. How do we how do we get around that? So one strategy is that, the, first of all, most of the kids in our schools aren't used to that. So when you begin to do it, they're going to start going like, what is this, a trick? <laughs> <You know? laughs> and, and one of the things which, you know, your question is insightful about this, which is um, if I were to start that in my, if I were sitting in a school right now and I was a teacher and I said, well, listen to this crazy guy, so we got to do this. I would take one part of my year, maybe a week, and I'll, pre, I'll set it up in advance by saying to parents, I'm going to change the way we go about our lesson next week. And here's what we're going to do. I'm going to be asking students to make some choices about the learning. And um, the reason I'm doing this is to you know, give them more ownership to the learning. And maybe even you do it, you have a, if you have a parent night first as a, as a teacher, you, you let parents understand why you're doing it. And then you get the kids ready for it. And then you try it for a week. You just give them, an, uh, give them one project. And then, then I would bring teachers together to talk. Maybe four teachers tried it and they got together after. How, would we, how did it go? What did, we, what did we learn from this? How could we make it better? Ask the kids how did it go? See if they were more engaged in it. And I, would, I could see that as meaning you need to build a transition into any of that shifting. Um, it's easier to do these kind of things you're, we're talking about in kindergarten and first grade. And then have the first, you know, I've, I've been on, a, on the bandwagon lately talking about, you know, hell, if we, could, if we could take and start in kindergarten and first grade with an initiative and have that first grade be the lead group, you know, we could change education in 11 or 12 years um, with that group because we're also going to be fighting the kids in the system that think you're asking them a trick question. Like, what do you mean? Right. Um, <laughs> what schools are like? And they're programmed to it. Um, they're actually, when I was the Dean at SNHU, um, 
I interviewed all the freshman students that came into the new teacher program. And I asked them, um, did you have a favorite teacher? They talked about their favorite teachers and they talked about, about how excited they were. And they were so committed to saying, I'm going to do exactly what my, you know, my, this guy did. He was my favorite teacher and I can't wait. And I, I would say to them, well, what about technology? And they would using technology and they would go like, no, we didn't use any technology and we're not going to use it when, because it's, you know, it's, it's, it's cheating. And I'm like, what? I said, what do you mean cheating? Well, we didn't use it in our K-12 experience, so we shouldn't use it in the future. And it was really kind of funny, quite frankly. Um, so I think we need, to, we need to attack early rather than late in our systems, talk to the parents, make it very smooth. Um, you know, I learned a lot. I did a bunch of work um, over in Europe, and I, was, I still sit on a board over in England on a bunch of uh, academy schools, they call them. But um, we were one of the other board members is from the Netherlands and, you know, and, um, they use technology all the time in their schools and they use it when they, whether they, when they take a test, they use it. They never, they never unplug if they don't have to, you know, I mean, they never unplug. And I said, why, you know, isn't that kind of a, a challenge? And he said, no, that's the way people work. He said, when you go to work, your boss doesn't say to you, I want you to develop a new HR policy for X, but don't look on the internet. You know, it's, it's like, it is part of the world today. So I was recently yeah. at an event where uh, everybody, a, a group of teachers, everybody was asked to raise their hand if they had learned something new using YouTube within the last month. And every teacher raised their hand. And then they said, raise your hand if you've used YouTube to teach something in the classroom within the last month. And probably 30 to 40% had, which I actually thought was really, really good. That's pretty good. I was going to say maybe 10%. Now, this so was a group of CTE teachers who uh, maybe kind of bring those you know, current you know, components into their class and, yeah. and rely on that. But it was really surprising to me just the disconnect a little bit. What's okay for me to learn a new skill maybe isn't appropriate for my, my student. Yeah. And that's a good, that's the connection that we're experiencing now. Um, I was on a, I was on a, a webinar with like 300 teachers and they were really concerned about, um, you know, students using technology and looking things up. And it's like, that's what you would do. I mean, I'm, you know, if it wasn't for you to, I mean, I can fix things around my house all of a sudden, because as long as I can get the video of it on YouTube, I can, I take that with me to the hardware store. I can fix things. I can ask for those tools and, you know, and, um, and the issue really is about getting, I think if our, if, if our goal was really to create learners, you know, powerful learners in the 21st century, um, I think then we would see it differently. Um, because I, I, I really think that what we want to do is create students that know how to learn things. And one of the, I think that's where circling back to the Brockton model, um, you know, what Brockton did was they taught their kids like eight steps to answering an open-ended question. They taught them, um, they, taught, they, they built a system on how do you read graphs and charts. They use instructional strategies. They teach their kids instructional strategies constantly. And um, I think we need to talk to our kids about not needing us as teachers. You know, the, the goal of the educator is not, you know, quite frankly, is 
you should not be, they should not need you to learn. So, you know, if you think about it, we should be creating a gradual release with our kids. We should be encouraging them to be learn to learn on their own. And I think um, you exit our system when you can learn on your own. And I think that's a really powerful example that we have to think about. I've been suggesting um, and have not gotten a lot of traction with it, but I think we should change some of our language in education. So we call our children students. And I think students is a very passive word. It's a, it's, you know, it's, there's a hierarchy there. I think we should call them learners because it's very active. So we have learners in our classroom. We don't have students. We don't have teachers in our classroom. This one, we have learning engineers. They engineer the learning and engineers make more money too. So I think that they would <laughs> like that idea. But, but, but the, the point is engineer the learning for me. You talk about student voice and I think it's that I shouldn't be the one that teaches you this. What I, what I am there for is to create an opportunity for you to figure this out and and um, when I was writing my book, one of the things we stumbled upon, we were interviewing a bunch of really successful teachers. I asked them, um, you know, what really excited them in their classroom? And they, it's like, it's like they all memorized the same answer. They said something like this. They said, when I hear a kid say, I got it. And I wasn't with them. I hear it from across the room. I got it. You know, and um, because then at that moment, they've become a learner. They start to understand that they don't need someone else to learn. And I think um, that's what's critical. We raise our children to leave us, right? That's what we do. Um, someday you'll experience that. I'm on the edge of that right now. I know you are, you're on the edge. But here's the thing, they come back, right? They do come back. But, um, but you want them to be successful on their own. And I think you know, if, when I look at schools these days and I ask what their job, what the, our job is, you know, I think it's about getting our kids to learn in the world, in the VUCA world, which is volatile, uncertain, complex, and ambiguous, getting them to learn in that world, getting them to feel like they could survive in that world. What are the skills you need? And I think those are the critical things. And I think, I think what we're seeing right now is this incredible shift in our world being you know, pressured on us that um, we have to look inside our building walls, you know, as, you know, I think instead of superintendent of schools, we need superintendents of learning. Okay. Because yeah. it's not about the school. It's about learning. And um, I think we're a little confused at, at times because we think it's only about teaching. And I think um, teaching is one way to learn. There's multiple YouTube's a way to learn. There's lots of ways to learn. And the more ways to learn a school district or a teacher has in his or her bag, the better they, the better learning situations they can create. You know, my I'm always a visual guy. I like to think of big pictures, and I see a craftsman that has his or her tools, and they are going to build cabinet work or something. And they've got all these intricate tools. And I think our teachers, you know, they need more than a hammer, right? They need those specialty tools. They need ways to make things, ways to ways to um, to inspire student voice. They need ways to think about um, how might I set this up so our students become learners in this class. So, um, you know, instead of we, we teach all of our kids at times, um, like right now in the shutdown, kind of, so well, your schools are closed now, right? 
Yeah, most of our school, yeah, all of our schools in Maricopa County, they went online, and then they're actually ending their online instruction this week. This is the last week uh, of school. So, I mean, when we think about, you know, when we think about our schools going, you know, uh, kind of thinking about their operation, it's kind of like, I think in my mind that, um, you know, if we could give teachers some time to rethink, and that's where I think our, our challenge is. Some um, some schools around the country, this when the shutdown occurred, they taught for four days, and the fifth day was a teacher day for teachers to collaborate. And instead of thinking, when you get material and content, instead of thinking, how would I teach this? I think our teachers need to start to think about how would they learn this today, because it's different. Like you mentioned, YouTube. I think that's a that's a big difference. How would I learn this content today? So maybe. I have a school district in the St. Louis area I work with every now and then, and I've asked the teachers to pick a unit during the year where they say to the students at the beginning of the unit, hey, we got to learn this stuff. Show them what they got to learn. Then say, how do you think we should go about this? And let them plan the learning with the teacher, right? And, you know, let's see where it takes us. And uh, it's interesting. Rather than teaching, learning. Yeah, that, that takes some courage, uh, definitely from that Oh, teacher. big courage. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, big courage. And But, you know, our educators in this country, I think they are very courageous. Um, they've adapted pretty well in this environment. I think they deserve a lot of credit for it. And I know you've been out giving a lot of people support and encouragement, and I think that's great um, because this has taken them to a really uncomfortable zone, you know, very tough. You know, one thing that I thought was uh, very successful is my this, the school district that my children attend, um, the shutdown kind of began during our spring break. And when we came back after spring break, the district said, hey, we're not going to provide any st- instruction this week. Uh, we're going to kind of circle the wagons with our teachers a little bit. We're going to talk about, you know, what this looks like. We're going to give them an opportunity to wrap their heads around, you know, what what they feel comfortable doing before we just jump into that. And, and as a result, I think a lot of our teachers in, in my kids' district were very successful. You know, I know my, my own second-grade daughter just really enjoyed her time um, with her class online, and it was meaningful instruction. Yeah. You know, it was, yeah. even though it was at a distance, we did Reader's Theater where each kid was assigned a, a character they had prepared their roles ahead of time. You know, we read it through multiple times with her. And they got on, and they, they did their, their reader's theater, and they had a terrific time. And so, you know, to your point, the teachers did a really phenomenal job under very difficult circumstances. And so I think, I think the model's there, right, to hold them to, yeah, hold them to that change right. for higher expectations that will be difficult, but they've just demonstrated that they're, yeah. they're capable. I think one of the, one of the things, and I, I completely agree, and they adapted very quickly, okay? And so um, in the VUCA world, we know from the research done that um, organizations and systems need to focus on Two, uh, two levels of performance. One is tactical performance and the other is adaptive performance. So tactical performance is improving the system you already have. So what are you gonna do to improve the system you already have? And the adaptive performance is how do you create a different future for this? So 
if I were to think back on the last, say, 10 years in education, um, the phrase I would use, uh, well, I, may, I, I comment at times, I'll say, you can't build the future by perfecting the past, okay? And I think we've spent a lot of time continuing to try to build the perfect K-12 system as we knew it in the past. And we haven't spent enough time on adapting it to the world out there. So I think the significant shift that this is causing us now is to realize we can adapt because we did. And so the question now is, so if the current system that we're, we're in this, you know, you know, whatever, whatever you want to call it, remote hybrid worksheet kind of thing that we're in, um, how do we perfect that? How do we perfect that, that, that adjustment we made? Right. I think that will help a lot of school districts. I think it will help uh, many school superintendents figure out that, you know, we have to be a little more entrepreneurial than we've been in the past. And it's not easy to be entrepreneurial with the public school systems because they are public. And um, it's not like, you know, when I worked for the Bain Venture guys, um, you know, they were into making investments. If we lost money, we, well, we lost it, but we learned something. In the public dollars, and all of us know it, you know, we have to be, we have to be more controlled and more thoughtful. And I think this experience that we've just had maybe has opened a window, a crack and said, look, we've got to get better at this. And, um, and I think once we set an agenda for that, I think our educators, as well as all the other professionals that are wrapped around them, will see some significant changes happen in the next, in the next year or two that could drive a pretty powerful change in America's educational system. Um, you know, we still have to balance all the other things on top of this, right? So right. you guys, I think I went to your website and, you know, you're serving food out of over 500 schools and you got all kinds of things going on. We still have to keep our kids safe. Um, we still have to make sure that, um, you know, this new cleanliness standards are going to affect us. Um, it's going to affect us in time, in resources. Um, but we can't let those keep us from cha not changing the fundamental part of the system. So, you know, we have to make sure that we make sure both of those things happen. We keep our kids safe. And at the same time, we build the kind of education that they need for the future. That's critical. Ray, I, I want to be respectful of your time. You've been amazing. Uh, I appreciate you taking some time for us. No problem. I really, um, you know, I think that I appreciate you. I appreciate what you've been doing. I appreciate you sharing your story at the start. And, um, you know, uh, I just think we as educators, you know, it's, it's easier when you get outside the system. It is. To look at it. And, you know, I've had, I've been very fortunate. You know, I worked in a, a university that, then their, their mission is constantly disrupting the status quo. So every day you get up and you say, we're doing it this way. Can we do it differently? And when you, when you experience that outside of the system, I think I owe it back to the, my profession to say, look, you know, we're doing good work. And I think there was good intent. We, we've just got to move it a little bit. You know, just thinking with you. Well, one of the other things we say in my office is we need more people who didn't like school to be involved in education. 
um, yes. because yes. <laughs> there are a lot of us who did really well in school who enjoyed it and then enjoyed it and then we get into it thinking well that's what it should look like and that's how it's going to to your point earlier we're going to perfect uh, what we appreciated about our school experience and that might yep. not be what serves uh, the all the students uh, in a meaningful way yeah very well stated steve i really appreciate it that's cool thanks so much for letting me um chat with you today 